Welcome to Design Lessons, the podcast where we design our teaching days to be fulfilling for us and irresistible to our students. I'm Dr. Michelle Schmidt-Moore, and instructional design is my superpower. Each episode, we will take actionable steps to create great teaching days. We'll focus on mindset, real-world opportunities, and critical and creative thinking for us and our students. So, whether you're on your commute to school, walking your dog, or doing the dishes, let's start designing. Welcome back, designers. Today, we are continuing our conversation with Joshua Stamper. He's an assistant principal in Texas and host of the Aspire Leadership Podcast. Now, this is part two, so if you've missed his first episode, go back and listen to that first. In this episode, Josh talks about one of his other passions, using trauma-informed practices and restorative justice. He shares why it's important to his family and his school life. We get to learn how to leave traditional discipline in the dust and how to implement restorative practices. Let's talk to Josh. So you mentioned that at the conference that you talked about trauma-informed practices and restorative justice. Tell us a little bit more about that and what led you to that and, and how that shows up in your work. Sure. Wow. That's that's embedded in, in our family, really. I, I need to go back to uh, my wife and myself. We had two biological children. And then um, after a, a little while, we felt called to look at the adoption process and I don't know if you've ever looked into that, but it's a crazy expensive to do a private adoption or overseas. And at the time we just financially, we, we couldn't do it. Um, and so we started to look at some different options and, and foster care, um, foster to adopt was something that we learned about and, and fell in love with. We didn't realize just in our backyard, the amount of children that are without homes. And so with that, we, we became foster parents and for anyone listening that um, doesn't know, when you're a foster parent, you have to go through an extensive amount of training and hours and hours. And I, I begrudgingly <laughs> went to these trainings because I was like, I'm already a parent. I know what I'm doing. Um, and then at the same time, I had just become an administrator at a Title I school. And we had a lot of student behaviors. And I was suspending kids left and right, um, either in ISS or sending them home to OSS. And what I found in those traditional practices was that I was not changing the behavior of the students. In fact, I saw an increase in the behaviors um, with more of a punitive, punitive traditional um, discipline matrix. And so it kind of intersected where I went through some trauma-informed, or I should say me and my wife did, where we were going through um, a training by Professor Purvis. She worked at TCU. Um, she passed away a couple years ago, um, but TCU has continued her work in, in trauma and really a trust-based relationship um, construct that they've formed. And what it was doing was it was teaching us that even in utero, so we've got three boys that we've adopted and they're just amazing young little guys. Um, but through what they went through in utero, their biology has actually changed. And so we've had a lot of um, things that we've had to work through um, and giving them the resources and support they need to be successful, which they have. However, because of the biological makeup that they've had, um, we've seen some different struggles um, educationally and behaviorally. And that was a foreign concept, but through that training, I started to realize that 
one in eight children have four or more experiences of trauma within their life. And 70% of, of everyone in, in the globe have at least one form of trauma that they've experienced. And what I realized in that moment was that the way that we interacted with students was that we just assumed that everybody came from a very stable environment. And the data was saying something completely different. And so the school was not prepared, and myself included, um, to handle what that looked like. And so, of course, we saw a lot of behaviors that would fall into the fight, the flight, and the freeze categories, which was a survival state that these students were in based on the communication and the interactions that we were having. And in fact, what we were doing was we weren't helping the trauma. We were actually creating new forms of trauma within these students and triggering them to be in a very defensive state. And instead of de-escalating the situation, we were amplifying it, and then we were just sending them on their way. And so it was a very vicious cycle, um, as you can imagine. And so what I was charged with after learning that it was, I have to do something different. What I'm doing right now is, is not working. So what can we do differently than just start sending kids and isolating them? Um, and obviously, if they're isolated or at home, they're not learning. Not learning uh, how to be a citizen, not as an adult, not as a student. And so um, restorative practices were, were really what I landed on, um, which is a, a different form of teaching instead of really looking at a punitive measure. So what does that look like? So if I am, um, well, let's start from where you are. So if, if you're an administrator mm-hmm. and, um, you know, as educators, we know that relationships are important. I think every teacher knows that every principal, every assistant principal knows that about relationships, but then how do we change the system so that we reduce the number of, you know, in school suspensions, out of school suspensions? What does that conversation look like with a student who maybe has done made a poor choice in that mm-hmm. moment? Yeah. So it's kind of reconstructing everything, to be honest, because you, well, one, you need to have a vocabulary and definitions that are widespread. So for instance, a lot of referrals are, for instance, disrespect. Disrespect for you, Michelle, might look different than for me. So how do we, how do we have it so that we're all within the same definition and, and language that we can all agree upon and, and move forward with? Um, a student like noncompliance as far as work or work avoidance. You know, some of these minor, what we would call level one infractions at some of my campuses would be an office referral where they were exited from that environment right away. And we would have lines of students outside of my office as the dean of students on, again, disrespect and work avoidance, which that was really difficult to change the mindset of, no, this student does not need to be removed from the educational environment for such a minor infraction. That's a mind shift, right? And so um, so training was re- required because they didn't, they didn't have that experience. They didn't understand. Um, so every campus that I've been in, it was trying to, I talked about a, di- a discipline matrix. I think I mentioned that earlier you know, reconstructing that to show, okay, here are the infractions that are really minor. And here's everything within your toolbox that you can use that does not require you to send them away from the educational environment. And because of just even that simple thing, we've seen a huge decrease of students um, missing out on instruction, being away from the experts of that content. 
The other piece was if there is something that's potentially going to be escalating, what are some strategies that we can put in place where we can get the student back into the, the classroom again? So for instance, if a student is having an issue with a teacher, for whatever reason, right? Take your hood off, uh, take your headphones out of your ears, you know, this is time for instruction. Instead of it being an escalated situation is is calling for a counselor or administrator and doing um, a push-in is what we call it. So where the administrator isn't the one handling it, we were we replace the teacher in that situation. The teacher and the student leave the classroom. They walk around, have a conversation about what's really going on. So for instance, okay, uh, my dad and his girlfriend got in a fight last night. They were up till two in the morning yelling at each other and the girlfriend moved out. I only got two hours of sleep last night. I'm really not feeling very good. I don't, I don't really want to do what you're asking me in this moment. And then the teacher's like, oh, okay, well, that's, that changes everything because I didn't understand that that was going on in your life. So what are some things that I can do for you to make you successful in the last maybe 15 minutes of class instead of them getting booted, right? And then the administrator then swaps back out when the teacher and the student arrive back into that learning environment. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense. I mean, you know, I think a lot of times for teachers, um, you, like you said, you've got another 27, <laughs> 28, you know, um, and so that having that time to be able to have that conversation with that student, knowing that someone is, you know, in the room helping and supporting the other students, that's huge. Yes. That is huge. Well, the other piece to it is when they send a student away, there's a couple things that happen. And this goes, this correlates to parenting too, because I do think there's a correlation. So for instance, like for a foster student or a foster kid, right? When we're parenting them, you know, if you, with a biological child, you probably would do this and not think twice is, Hey, go to your room. You need timeout. And if you have a foster child that has trauma within their life, what that tells them is that you don't want anything to do with them go away. Right. And so that's a fracture of a relationship. And so what they said in the training was instead of a timeout, do a time in. Right. So the child still doesn't get to do what they want. Right. They don't get to watch TV. They don't get to play the game, but they're with you within that timeout, if you will, which is a time in. So the relationship is still there. Once the kid is, you know, the child is deescalated and then you can have that conversation about teaching the, the correct behavior. Well, so that's the same concept within a school, right? So if a teacher is just saying, go to the office, well, now that relationship is fractured. And we all know that there's not a lot of time within the educational day to then go back and have that relationship restored. So what this does is this allows the teacher to have the ownership of continuing that relationship within that that uh, student, right? Whereas if they just send them, then the administrator then takes over, <laughs> right? I'm building a relationship with the student. I'm having those conversations in that teaching piece. And then the te- teacher is no longer within that experience. And so the teacher then lo- is seen as an outsider. And so it, you can all, you can already see the breakdown that that would occur, you know, based on the different relationships. Yeah. That seems like a, I mean, a really good system, really, just to ha- be able to have the opportunity. You know, I mean, many of us, you know, educators, you, you might take a student out in the hallway and have a conversation. Um, but I think I love the idea that everyone else in class still is is moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's there's an opportunity for that conversation yep. um, to work. So the other piece to it real quick is restorative circles. So with that is allowing the student to see and take ownership of what they've done. The second piece is that they see how their 
choices has affected others and then finding a way to restore that. And I'm going to give you a quick example. Um, so for instance, I had a student several years ago who stole something from a book fair. They walked out with those items and they were caught in, in the act. Typically in that situation, it would be ISS or OSS based on, on theft, right? So instead, what we did was we had the librarian, the student, and myself come together and we did a restorative circle. So the student was able to take ownership. They're able to talk through the situation with the librarian. He apologized. I did not ask him to, but that was his way of restoring it. But then there's this, the third piece, which is how are we going to fix and then also for you to learn not to do this anymore. And what we constructed in that, that restorative circle was that he was going to volunteer his time each morning for the rest of the week. So it happened on a Monday. He then came Tuesday through Friday before school. And some folks were like, well, he isn't getting a consequence. And I can assure you he did because he, did, he had to wake up early. He had to get there on his own time. He then became the secret shopper. So he was actually looking for other students who were attempting to do the exact same thing that he was doing. And in addition, he was able to then work for 30 minutes every morning, which if you think about it, the time that was allotted was much more than probably the time that he would have been ISS. And through that process, he got to have a greater relationship with the librarian. He got to serve his community in his school and he was able to model the correct behavior to his counterparts. So in that situation, that that was a restorative, that would be an example of restorative practices. No, I love that. I absolutely love it. What I love about restorative justice is that it allows us to take a beat and really tune in into what is going on with our students. We all have bad days. And as adults, we know mostly how to articulate that. Sometimes that can look like acting out for students, listening and providing consequences that enable a child to learn can make all the difference in creating and continuing positive relationships. Until next time, designers. This is a more creative learning production hosted by Michelle Schmidt-Moore and edited by Christian Schmidt. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. We will see you on the next episode.